Chicago professional sports is about money, and it's dependent on the political class for subsidies, for tax credits, for all sorts of government help. But that doesn't work if you don't have fans caring about your product. And the Chicago Fire are in the tank. The Chicago Sox just got rid of their, what, 95-year-old manager and failed. The Chicago Cubs, well, they're not in my world. And the Chicago Bears are one foot out the door going to Arlington Heights, and they're offering a questionable product as they leave. So what about those fans? And without them, can you have a team? And what about Ed Obradovich, legendary defensive end for the Chicago Bears and probably the best uh, radio in town post-Bear games? When the Bears lose, he blows a gasket, and so does Dan Hampton. Ed Obradovich is our guest on this week's Chicago Way podcast. And Jeff Carlin, the goalkeeper for the famed Palatine Celtic years ago, back in the day, is here. Executive producer at WGM and master of pies and a friend of cats. And me, John Cass, editor-in-chief at John Cass News, Greek Orthodox Christian, uh, husband and father, worried about the, the safety act. But there's one place you can take politics out of your mind and what the politicians are doing to you, and that's sports. On the Chicago way, with Ed Obradovich on WGN+. Plus. The, the Chicago way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago way. The Chicago way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river, castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. You don't need to tell me that our next guest, Edo Bradvich, is a legend, because I know he's a legend. Legendary Chicago Bear, and uh, part of the great story of how I froze my legendary feet off on a legendary night in February outside of Mirabelli's uh, appliance store in Oak Lawn waiting for this man's autograph. Ed Obradovich, welcome to the Chicago way again, my friend. Oh, Johnny, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Are you kidding me? So what's, <laughs> what happened with the bears coaching staff? We, I heard your, uh, your, uh, usual fine diatribe after the game with, uh, Dan Hampton, Hampton OB. And uh, you questioned why, what happened to the Bears coaching staff? They couldn't come up with a game plan to move the ball, like even a few feet or a few yards when you need it. Yeah. Well, John, there's, listen, this, we just played our fourth game, okay, of, of a 17 game schedule. And I had mentioned, and, 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 and I, this is a total fact. You, you don't be the fourth game in. And you don't know how to stop up defensively. You don't know how to 
a stop a play where they attacking you, play after play after play, and you make no adjustments, none whatsoever, there's a simple adjustment that should be on every defensive play. Let me tell you what it is. It's called force, fill, and containment. Force is the guy that goes after the tack to make the tackle. Fill is basically the backside coming in at their angles to 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 fill in in case he doesn't make it, then you've got these people to make the tackle. And containment is the most important. If it's the defensive end, or if it's the outside linebacker, or if it's the cornerback, somebody always has containment on every play, strong side or weak side. So if that play goes away from you, if he bootlegs away from you, you go as deep as the ball if you're the guy in containment on the other side. And you trail him. Why? Because if he turns around and he wheels back, you're right there. And the fill is all the angles of the guys going, and the force guys make the play happen. And that's in every play. It's on the weak side, the strong side, and we had none of it. We could not make an adjustment against the New York Giants and let their quarterback beat us on a simple bootleg, a simple rollout. He scored two touchdowns, John, and there wasn't a defensive player within 10 yards of him. Yeah, now studying, but Jeff and and Ed, to study that, you'd have to watch tape again and again, and I've just about had it with the Bears. I had it with them last year, and, uh, you know, this is Ryan Pace's uh, failure as far as I'm concerned, all this stuff that we're seeing. But and, and Ted Phillips, okay, <laughs> hey, don't don't think I don't care about the Greeks. Ted, this is for you. <laughs> Thank you, Ted. But uh, you know, and Ed, it's good to have you. I mean, I yeah. I, I, I gotta say, every time any Bears game, if you if you really really want to know how the game went, you gotta tune into WGN for Ed Hampton OB, and sometimes Cause uh, to check out the post game and the pregame. But it's the best radio in Chicago. I can't say stress that enough. It's so real and, and just, you know, visceral reaction to what happened. And, Ed, I mean, are you surprised that this team is seemingly stumbling so far, seeing as all the changes that have happened in the last couple of years? Or, or do you see some sparks of, uh, you know, like an ignition of a future that could? Well, what I've seen so far, my answer is no. Yeah. I tell you what, I give this coaching staff a D. Let me yeah. tell you something. When you're in your fourth game and, and you're throwing for two yards and in, in a half and, and a game after game, quarter after quarter, and you've got people like Darnell Mooney, who's as fast as anybody in the league, and you've thrown to him twice downfield in four games, we have a tight end in Cole Komet, 6'5", 260 pounds, can catch the ball. He's not in our game plan. And in today's game, gentlemen, who do you use? You go deep. All you have to do is watch Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. How many times do you see a quarter of the ball flying down the field? And who is their main guy they go to? Their main guy in basically the intermediate or short passing game are the tight ends. We Cole commit two games and not one ball was thrown to him. And you're supposed to win football. Are you supposed to win a football game? And one, deep, one deep to Moody. One deep. Let That's me just all. tell you one other. 
This game yesterday, what really jumped out at me offensively, okay, we couldn't do anything offensively. We had no adjustments. And there's things that you could have done, Jeff and John, and trust me. You go with a no-huddle offense, okay? You go on a hurry-up call, a quick count. You mm-hmm. spread You You try to off-balance. Again, I can't say it again. And did you ever see us go to a no-huddle offense, to a quick offense, to an offset offensive line to the strong side or an offset line to the weak side? We did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Are these guys and, are these guys capable intellectually of, you know, people don't people who don't know football think offensive linemen are stupid and they're not. They're probably the smartest people on your team. But um are these offensive linemen, you know, these are kids and they're coming back from injuries. They're really thin on the offensive line. Do they have what it takes mentally to do all that? And does Fields have have, have it? Well, I, yes, I think they do. And I'm using the word think, okay? <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. You have to have a coach. You have a head coach. That understands both sides of the ball. Yeah. You got to have an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator put the correct game plan together. And again, you're paid millions of dollars to do this as a head coach, as coordinators. Okay? And I, I for the life of me, can't figure out why we can't even convert on third down. You have to have a quarterback that has to be an accurate passer. And it, you've got to put these. You've got to put a game plan together to attack downfield to get your tight end involved. And we don't do any of it. We don't convert on third down. Why is that important? Because when you convert on third down, you're moving the ball down the field. You're eating up the clock. You're keeping the other team's offense off the field, and you'll eventually score. We don't convert. We were five of fifteen. On third down situations, you're not going to win a game doing that. Hey, Ed, do you think? Um, I mean, I feel like we've got the, the fields. Is, he's got the hand arm. He can throw it deep. He seems pretty accurate. I mean, from what I've seen, it, it looks like he could put the ball anywhere on the field. Is it? Is it this idea? Are they trying to protect his stats or something? Is he's getting? I mean, they throw an interception for his mental state. I mean, what is it? Why aren't they letting this kid? run and and are they just not open i mean why do you think they're they aren't unleashing this this tool this weapon they have they're not coaching him as silly as that statement just sounds that i made it sounds like a very silly and and uh, uh goofy kind of a statement but let me tell you something jeff right now okay in the national football league going into this game yesterday I just want to tell you where our quarterback rank. Of the 32 teams in the league, in completions, field ranks dead last, 32nd. On attempts, fields ranks 32nd, dead last. Completion percentage, fields ranks 32nd, dead last. Yards, per, okay, yards, throwing yards, where does he rank? Dead last, 32nd. Yards, Game, where does he rank? 32nd, dead last. Passer rating, where does he rank? 32nd, dead last. Interceptions, wow. rank 38th. There's only 32 teams. <laughs> Passer rating, play. where does Fields rank? 32nd, dead last. And Houston, we got a problem. <laughs>
Yeah, but I, is it like blaming the people of Chicago for the corrupt politicians? I mean, you know, the sta- the status in in the of the Bears is that the offensive line has been so destroyed and not and weak. And they what did they what did they draft a kid that had a bad back and had to have surgery right after the right. draft? So, right. Uh, yeah, that's brilliant. So when you have all that, how can you have a passing game? But you don't have anybody to block for this kid. We haven't had an offensive line here, gentlemen. If you want the reality of it, not eighty-five was the last time we had what you call a true champion offensive line. But what these do, John, stats stats don't lie. Those numbers are there, okay? Mm-hmm. And put it all in this. I mean, you know how serious this is. We're not talk, talking dead last. Of all the teams in the league, so who do you look at? He's he's got to be under. He's got to be looked at himself. But who's really got to be looked at again? Is Eberflus and Getzey, our offensive coordinator? They're the ones putting this team in the position to where they are from game to game, quarter to quarter, half to half. And I'll tell you what: the adjustments, all these adjustments, John, should have been made before game one. You don't wait till the fourth game of a 17-game schedule and start scratching your head and say, oh, my God, what can we do to make this offensive better? What can we do to get a better passing game? That should have been thought of in April, May, June, July, and August. And Not they, now. And they don't have a, they don't, they have lost a running back. They've lost their best running back. Yes. David yes. Montgomery has gone. Mm-hmm. They've got backup running backs. They have backup tackles. They have backup guards. And the backup, the the guard who was the starting center, what last year, or the year before, Cody Whitehead, he's gone. He's hurt. He was hurt, right? I don't know if he's out for the week, but he was hurt part of that game. And mm-hmm. uh, I don't see the depth on this team. I think it's a reflection of the front office as always. And again, I not I petition the court to <laughs> consider my nomination that changed the name of the team. From the the mascot to the ownership, so like in the in Washington, the commander should be the Snyders or whatever his name is, and <laughs> in 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 Chicago, we have to have the McCaskies. The, the McCaskies, McCaskies on the fifty yard line, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. How about we? If you want to go that way, how about we rename it the Butkus? <laughs> oh yeah, well that would be that would be naming it after the best football player that Chicago's ever seen. <laughs> And hey, Ed, we haven't. We, it's been a long time since so we got to talk to you, and I always love picking your brand and stuff. And I think the, in between the last time we spoke, the the whole hubbub about the idea of going to the suburbs with the team. Oh. I know it's been going on for years. And Ob, what was your reaction to that? What did you think first thing when you saw that that headline again? The first time I got asked that question last year, and you know, is it a ploy? Mm-hmm. You know, by the Bears to make the city of Chicago step up and redo Soldier Field. And I said, no. I said, I believe it's a real move. Because I'll tell you what, just look at the traffic pattern alone to get to Arlington Heights where that racetrack is. There's major highways, freeways, expressways. I mean, and they got all kinds of land to do a lot of things. Whereas Soldier Field, you get there from from the north on Lakeshore Drive, you get there from the south on Lakeshore Drive. There's not one east-west street that you can get to Soldier Field with. So, yeah, you could you could take Cermak 
you can take Western to Cermak and Cermak East, but I don't, I doubt that many, uh, many, <laughs> many season ticket holders from Payless or Orland are going to do that. I'm just, yeah, but John, guess what? You still got to empty out in the Lakeshore Drive and yeah. take Lakeshore Drive to get there. Yeah. So you, so you support the move? Because I do. I do. I, I think it would be. I think it would be a smart move. Put up a big venue up there, and again, the traffic, the ease to get to that particular spot there, where Arlington Park Racetrack is, is right on 14, right by Route Three, Northwest Hallway. I mean, there's a lot of things that are in favor of them making the move. A lot of upside there, definitely. What do you think about? Does it help the team? Does it help the team to be out there? Because I'll tell you, I think it helps the fans. I mean, they maybe they'll be in a better mood because they don't have to <laughs> go through the city of Chicago. You've got, look, middle-class people with money don't want to go into the city right now. They're not really crazy about it. Yeah. There's, the, the fact remains. and they But they want to support their civic uh, institutions like the Bears. Well- Absolutely. I agree with that, John. But what, whatever, like here, like what they want to do in Chicago is now they're going to put a top on yeah. top of Soldier Field, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know what? What they should have done when they rebuilt the stadium and they didn't want to tear the columns down. What they should have done was, yeah, take the columns down, all right, and build new ones we're all our war veterans. We're War One. We're War Two. Mm-hmm. Vietnam War, and make it a whole brand new complex, and put mm-hmm. all brand new columns in, but representing all the foreign wars that we've been involved in. That's what should have been done in Chicago on Lakeshore Drive. Amen to that. Absolutely right, Ob. Well, Ed, I, I love getting your the stories you should tell us, and and you talking coming north and south on Lakeshore Drive. Dude, what, what was it like the first time, you know, going to a game, going to Soldier Field? I mean, when I always got down there, I would try to get, I would try to get there like around 8.30, 9 in the morning, and that was not a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem is for people to get to that stadium here in, in, in on Lakeshore Drive. It's, it is just awful, and I don't know what they can do to correct it. But I tell you what, I think all the reasons for them to move to Arlington Heights are pluses. To stay downtown, is it a negative? No. But I'll tell you what, there's many more pluses moving out to Arlington Heights, building a new stadium and accessibility to it than what is happening downtown on the lakefront. Well, what was your, when you played, you played at Wrigley, right? The, the, the Bears played at Wrigley. Did they not? Right. Played at Wrigley, but in the year, uh, I think, seven in 70, the National Football League said you had to have a stadium of minimum, uh, John, of 60,000 to seat yeah. 60,000. And, of course, Wrigley Field didn't seat 60,000. But so that we had to move because that was a league rule. So in 1970, we moved to Soldier Field. Right. That, and that was the reason why, because of the capacity. You you're almost the way these rulings have gone, you might think that George Hallis actually started the National Football League. <laughs> well, Which I'm he did. Tell you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he did. And let me throw this out. You know when they made the merger between the the, the American Football League and the yeah. National Football League? Right. <clears throat> and there's a lot of people, you know, like they had everybody had different avenues of what happened, how it happened, whatever. 
Joe uh, Namath happened. The Jets happened. Yeah, well, let me tell you what really happened, what? okay? I think a guy by the name of George S. Hallis, George Stanley Hallis, he's the guy that got both leagues talking to merge. Why? Because he saw what was going on with the other league, the success they were having, and that the Jets were in New York. And there's a couple of, where there's two teams in the city. He is the man that started for the National Football League in the AFL to to make one big league. Why? Because there would never be another team in Chicago. And by the way, is there another football team in the National Football League in Chicago? There isn't. I'm telling you, George Alice was the man they initiated that meeting and set that whole thing up. And why? So there'd never be another team in Chicago. Adam Bradovich and Jeff Carlin and everyone listening, I'm telling you, that there are still a thousand, thousands of people on the south side of Chicago, where I'm from originally, who remember that there were two teams in Chicago and they loved the other team, not the Bears. I have to oh. say, it's called the Chicago Cardinals. Yes. And, we, and they loved the Cardinals. And the Cardinals had a very fast, a fascinating uh, team for a while. And, uh, all of this was, I think, because George Hellis did not want another team. He did not want the Cardinals anywhere near Chicago. That, that's absolutely correct. And I'll tell you what, you talk about some great players, Charlie Trippy, Ollie yeah. Matson. Right. They had they had some great, great teams. And and, and and just and I don't mean to to, to reiterate or double talk here again. I'm telling you, George Hallis was the person that brought everybody together and combine the leagues into one football league, two conferences, one football league, but with the stipulation, there'll never be another team in Chicago. I would bet on it. (laughs) I love it. The people of Chicago now, when they see uh, you and Hampton talking, you're talking in 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 a universe that has already had a great, several great Chicago Bears football teams and the greatest being the defense of the greatest defense in the history of the league, which is why I changed the rules, Mm -hmm. the 85 Bears. But what was it like for you guys, for you particularly, Ed, when you were playing and there was the monsters of the midway in the 40s and the 50s, but we didn't have the media then that we have now. And what was it like for you to play in an environment where you're a young player, you're trying to make your mark, your team's trying to make its mark, and uh, you're not burdened by the 80, you're not burdened by Hampton and Walter Payton, Gary Fensick and all that. You're just a kid playing football and trying to make your mark. How how different was that for you? Well, I'll tell you the, the difference. Uh, well, it, it, there's, there's, it's marginal difference. Uh, from from A to Z, John, Tr- truly it is. But what I can tell you is, I played in the '60s with the Chicago Bears in the National Football League, and all the pundits, John and Jeff, throughout this country, what was the most violent decade of football? And they all said the vi- the decade of the '60s was the most violent decade of football. And I always like to come up with the terminology or the term, you know, what basically there, there weren't, you know, there was only one rule. The one rule was there was no rules. I mean, there you talk about some of those violent hits and the way that game was played. 
uh, it was incredible. And, head slaps and on the I, offensive lineman. Did you ever do head slaps? When you're coming up against an offensive lineman, it was third down and eight. And you, obviously you're peering, you're pinning your ears back to rush. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, what about the head slap? How did that affect the game? Well, you know, it's just like anything else. You know, when you hit your head, John, that's where the rest of your body goes, okay? Right. right. So if you come in with a right right uppercut or, or, or a right jab to the left, to his left side of his helmet, and you hit him with the right hand, a bang, he goes, that's all you need. All you need is him to get basically a foot, knock him out, a foot out of the way, sure. and you've got to pass to the quarterback. Right. But, it was that, and it's either, John, it was, I mean, I could tell you this, like wide-out receivers, you can't touch them today. Well, at the line of scrimmage, when we played, we took them out at the line of scrimmage. And mm-hmm. the tight end, whether the tight, the tight end is always designated where the strong side is. So whichever right. side the tight end came on, that was the strong side. Yeah, Back the in the day with George season. Allen, yeah. our defensive coordinator, we never let the tight end off the line of scrimmage. You pop them right in his chops, or you drop them right at the line of scrimmage. So he is at the release catch guy that goes like six yards, seven yards, or out in the flat and throw him the ball. And also a running back. What they do, they check down the block. Nobody coming. They come around and they go into that six-yard area again for another check down. Well, George Allen came up with. You take the tight end out at the line of scrimmage, and if that back comes around you, you hang him. That was the terminology we used. In other words, I'm legal rushing, then. And the, and the back is trying to sneak around outside of me. I'd catch him with my left arm right in his throat and bend him over backwards. You could do that. It was called the uh, – what was it? What did you call that in those days? It was Hanging. Uh, hanging or uh, whatever. Or clothesline <laughs> tackle before yeah. the ball was thrown to him. You could hit him before the ball was thrown if he's in the backfield. Well, right. yeah, when, when he came out, and then that that went on. Back in the day, I remember Richie Pettibone. He was our strong side safety, one of our captains. And he said, when our defense, I mean, we I think we broke like 19 NFL records that year in 63 when we won the world championship. And I remember Richie was sitting there after one game, and he says, you know what, OB? He says, Defensively, he says, nobody knows what the hell we're doing. I mean, we, George Allen came up with all these little uh, things that uh, actually took, oh, my God, he took all, we took all their threats away right at the line of scrimmage. That's and crazy. now, And now we have a, a league that is completely flipped on its ear. I don't, yeah, absolutely. I'm, really not, I'm really not a big fan. I'm a fan of football. So I watched football in the 70s. That's when I played in the 70s. And uh, there were two kinds of fans in the 70s uh, in Chicago. There were the Doug Plank fans and the Gary Fensick fans. But either way, it was like serious collision. And I'm not Mm. celebrating the head injuries because, God forbid, I mean, I had a a, cousin. My cousin played uh, 15 years in the National Football League. Freddie Smurless. And so I don't, I don't want these, these guys hurt, but it was a different game. Let's put Yeah. That. And speak to that a little bit. I mean, you've seen the game now, obviously things, you know, progress and change and rules and whatnot. Do you, do you feel like the, the game now is, is more entertaining or 
or more, tougher? I mean, do you, do you lament the old days and watching it, or do you feel like we've we progressed in the way we should have as far as the, the culture of the football? Well, Jeff, what I think is, I think, well, TV plays a giant part. Sure. I mean, you get billions and billions from TV. And I'll tell you what, television, they don't want a 7-3 to three game or a 14-10 to 10 game. Trust I me, do. they don't want 48 to 42, mm-hmm. 45 to, you know, 38. Yeah. They want a track meet going up and down. And that's why they made all the rule changes in the passing game. Chicks mm-hmm. take the long ball. The same <laughs> thing, how they ruined the ruined baseball. Chicks dig the long ball. Let's have home runs. Let's let's hit, stop hitting behind the runner. Let's not have like classic leadoff man getting on. You know, everyone swing for the fences every time up. And they did the same thing to, to football. They're destroying it to me in my mind. I'm just well, yeah. Well, I, I I understand that, but you know the the rules. They uh, uh, television, and it's my opinion. Believe me, I think that they tell the National Football League yeah. what has to happen. And I think because, you know, you get in these, you know, Richard Dent and I, we were doing a promotion for Dan Hampton somewhere. This was a couple of years ago or whatever. And, you know, they're, they're, they're talking about the players, you know, today and, 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 and back, you know, like when I played, okay, in the 60s yeah. and early 70s. And uh, I, you know, he's saying they're, they're so much bigger and whatever. So I, I said to Richard, I said, Richard, <laughs> is there one player today that's 6'8 and weighs 280 that's a defensive end in the league? It, no, there isn't. I said, well, we did. Doug Atkins. Who could jump over you when you're standing up mm-hmm. tall. He could jump over your your shoulders and your head, I think. Yeah, we'll tell you, that's an excellent point, Johnny, and let me tell you why. When he was at Tennessee, yeah. he, was a, he high jumped. He was 6'8". He high jumped six eight, and and in 1952, the guy that won the gold medal in the Olympics jumped six eight, and Doug is six eight, and that year he jumped six eight in a meet. I don't think it was a Fosbury flop either. I'm just <laughs> no, saying. it wasn't. He was he was a huge man, but I, I could tell you something. I, I would love that people tell me, you know, today, you know, they're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. No, they're not. No, they're not. Let me tell you something. I said, you know what I'd like to have happen? I know it'll never happen, John and Jeff. I'd love to see a play a game. First half, we'll play under your rules. The first 30 <laughs> minutes. And then the second 30 minutes, you play under our rules. I love it. I, can I, you I, imagine? You can paper the, the crap out of that thing. Daily, you see the receivers getting whacked and taken out at the line of scrimmage. A tight end, nobody touches, they run free. How about catching a forearm right to the chops? <laughs> Just put Dick Night Train Lane out there for Detroit and see how there you, there like you going, go. Going over the middle. Anyway. Another question, Ned, because uh, we just want to get them all in because I'm so excited and geeked up, and I am that same kid waiting <laughs> outside of Mirabelli's freezing my feet off. Um, and it was for you and Butkus, by the way. And then here's a, here's a, here's something I wanted to ask. Luke Getze is the offensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears, the current one. Correct. And as you mentioned, all the uh, statistics last in the league and this and that and the other thing. I mean, they're last in every almost every category except passing game. I ain't making those stats up. Yeah, those are facts. So what what is going to happen when he meets the media? When he meets the media, you've seen this before. 
some guys, when the, the coach who's responsible for a lot of this stuff comes out and come, meets the media, how does the media treat them? Are there some guys who are playing patty cake and other, other reporters playing, uh, well, I want to kiss his ass because I want, I want the general manager to make sure that I have access to the other team and the other players? Or does someone Daddy. hold this guy accountable? Yeah, John, they're 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 not going to go after him. They're not because just of what you just said. You know, they want to be let in the Hallis Hall. They want to be accessible for the inter- interviews, et cetera, et cetera. And and uh, uh, so, they're, are they really going to go after him? I don't think so. I, I've I've never seen it before. And if they do, they go about it in a in a very soft way. You know, they'll say something, and then in the next sentence, make the excuse for what they just said. Uh, so I, I don't think they'll go after him. But I, I tell you what, last week, John, when they interviewed him, and Jeff, he got a little testy with the press. Yeah, yeah he did. A little he did. bit. Yes. I'm sure he got a talking to after that, too, probably, because everything is so you know controlled and, and, and monitored by comms people and communications teams and that kind of thing. Hey, guys, let me tell you, the most important thing, you just take the whole organization, the owner, trainers, everybody through everything. All right, let's get down to it. It gets down to the game being played. Okay, and there's four people, four that I believe are the most integral people in the organization. Number one, your head coach. Number two, your offensive coordinator. Number three, your defensive coordinator. They better be attuned. And, and that comes from week to week putting game plans together. Those three guys have to be as good as anybody or better than anybody in the league if you want to win a world championship. And the fourth person is the quarterback. Why? He is the one person, John and Jeff, out of the 53 guys on the team, 53 players, he's the one that truly has to make it happen. And that's from week to week to week. He is the key to you winning a world championship, a Super Bowl, whatever terminology you want to lose. I mean, does it, use. Does anyone, any Bear fan believe that there's a world possible world championship in this Bears future? This Bear do I, do I yeah. see this now? Yeah. No. Of course yeah. not. So it's going to happen because it'll happen two or three years down the road where you then have a chance. And the reason they'll have a chance is because the general manager, what is his name now? The current general Holes. Holes. Yeah. Holes has dumped Holes. has dumped a lot of salary and he's got he's gonna free up salary cap to bring free agents and others on next year, right? So this year they're not gonna have anything. And I'm wondering if you if you're gonna try to challenge for a division next year. And you put your quarterback out and, and rollouts and have him running the ball so he gets killed this year, maybe hurts himself badly. How do you even have a chance with a, a backup quarterback? John, I, I totally disagree with, with, with that. And, and I know what you're, that's a question and, and, and a thought and a good one. And, and my theory is no. Let me tell you something. And let me tell you why. In my 11 years of playing professional football, I had three teammates die. Three teammates. Oh. Willie Gallimore and Bo Farrington in a car accident in training camp in Rensselaer, Indiana. And then our running back, Brian Piccolo, who died of cancer. Three in an 11-year span. Also, 
I played, we played against Detroit in my 11 years. I had an opponent drop dead in front of me, 10 yards in front of me, and he was dead before he hit the ground. And he's the only player in the history of this game. And thank God, he's the only one that has died on the field that day. And so that's four people in 11 years. Three teammates and opponent die when I played. This game, my point being this, John, you better... What? Listen, I'm not playing to win a Super Bowl two years from now. It's yeah. now. Yeah. And every game that you play is now or never. Why? Because you can die on that field. You can die on that field. And if it's somebody's thought, if it's an owner or a general manager, John and Jeff, that thinks, well, we'll build here for the next two or three years, what the hell are you telling your fans? Where's your belief in them? Where's your belief in yourself that you have to win? And there's only 17 games, not 162, not 90-some. You've got to get it right. And if you go in with that kind of thought in my mind that we're going to build for next year or the following year, boy, I would want to get the hell out of that organization because <laughs> I put my life on the line out there for, for for 17 weeks for somebody to think, oh, well, we'll just go through the motions and do that. That is a big no. Chuck Hughes, you're talking about the Detroit. Yeah, Chuck Hughes. Yes, I watched that game. I you know, watched every game with you and Butkus out there. And yeah. You know, John, that poor kid, he had three little kids, just like Brian Piccolo had three kids. Chuck Hughes was 27 years old, and he had three babies, you know, with him. And boy, and, I, and I, I'll never forget it. I, as, as I'm talking right now, I can visualize it. That pass play was over it. He's walking back to the huddle. I'm looking right at him. And he's like about, I don't know, seven, eight, ten yards from me, walking back to the huddle. And I'm looking at him, and he goes, boom, face down. And I figured, oh, why, you crumble, you because they had no timeouts. Right. So I started screaming to the refs, that bum, he's faking it. Come on, tell him he's faking it, that coward. And and he, I tell you what, I believe he was dead before he hit the ground. Just light I a really candle. Do. Light a wow. candle. Uh, that's all you need to do, Ed. Just light a candle to his memory. And uh, oh, I'll be right back. I've got to go answer the door, as I told you guys. Hold on. got a problem here. What did you do? Nothing. I stirred the tanks. Whoa. Uh, this is Houston. Uh, say again, please. Houston, we have a problem. So I guess we're, uh, I guess we'll be ready, uh, Ed Obradovich, for the next time the offensive coordinator shows up before the media with your yeah. questions. We'll listen to your podcast before, the, before he shows up. Well, you know, John, there's definite questions that should be asked, and you can't dance around them if you're a reporter, okay? You know, and I just, the very seriousness of how this game is played and how it's viewed, and when you see other teams, when you watch the Packers, you watch Tampa Bay, you watch the 49ers, you watch everybody's throwing the ball down the field. There's things that should be done that we're not doing. And again, we just finished our fourth game. And we have a quarterback that almost in every category known to mankind of a quarterback, this kid is dead last. We're dead last. Now, there's a reason for it. Is it him? Is it the head coach? Is it the offensive coordinator? Or is it the all above? 
So, you know, take your pick. We'll, we'll find out. out. We'll find out. And, and uh, it's going to be, I mean, as I, we, are, we joke around the station, you know, that some of the best shows that you and Hamp do are the ones where the Bears get look the silliest. So <laughs> I know it's not good for the fans, but it's good good listening for you guys, at least. I know it's it's a, a catch toy too of sorts. The but Bears I are kill, they're killing these guys. We don't I need know. I don't want Ed Obradovich hurt I by know. idiot uh, play calling. I really don't. Definitely. All right, Ed. Thank well, you Ed. so much for so much passion. All the years of passion that you exhibit for the Chicago Bears. And basically, you know, something even more for doing things the right way, for doing things the way you were taught by your parents and your friends and your uncles and all the people around you in your circle for doing things the right way, because that comes clear in your broadcasts every day. Well, I appreciate that, John. And the key is, again, for this coaching staff, okay, to, you, you know, you've got to put games plans together, okay? And what they've done so far, in Dan Hampton's opinion and my opinion, that it, it's, it, they fall so far short. We're not using this kid's ability. We're not using the ability of our receivers. It's, it, there's got to be some uh, philosophy has to change. They have to open up the offense. They have to give this kid a chance, move him out of the pocket. They have to move the ball down the field. And if they don't, we're going we're gonna to win a game here or there, but we're going to be losing and losing. And then you're going to go in the offseason, and we're going to come back with the same thing. The philosophy has to change. It has to change. Offensively to attacking. Defensively, we've been okay. Offense, you've got to attack downfield. We don't do it. That's what they have to do if they want to win a damn football game in this league. March or die is the motto. Thanks, uh, Ed Obradovich. Thank Thanks, you, Ed. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Thanks, John. Buddy. Talk later, babe. Appreciate See it. See you, man. Thank yeah. you. Well, Jeff, Ed Obradovich, man, I just needed that because he's a treasure. He's a, he's a treasure. Fan, yeah, he's a treasure because he cares. The passion in the man's heart is enough, and it's and it's, uh, and it's 100% genuine. It know? is, and, 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 and you, you nailed it in the head there it, that he, he's a guy who does it the right way, and it comes across in so many things. I mean, even in, even in trying to get him to do, you know, to join us here on the podcast, you know, Ed's like, well, I got to make sure the boss is at the station, you know, it's yeah. radio, it's podcast, make sure you're good, you know. He's all about doing things the right way, and, and it shows, and he's a genuinely such a good guy. So I, it's uh, – such a good treat to connect with him. And there are people in the Bears fan group that care. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in a different fan group. I was of the Bears and of the Chicago White Sox, but the White Sox, the baseball juiced me, and the and football mm-hmm. covering up concussions juiced. I uh, got rid of got rid of me, mm-hmm. like they're doing now with Tua. And so then I went to this other sport that people don't like, where there's no, where there's no lot, not a lot of scoring, called soccer. But you know what? It's like to see people care about the Bears and think about how they don't care about soccer. They don't care about the Chicago <laughs> Fire. It hurt. That's a double hurt. Okay, sure. that's a double hurt here. Sure. For yeah. Ed Obradovich, legendary Chicago football player, Chicago Bears defensive end champion world champion and for jeff carlin 
executive producer WGN, future physics teacher, master of pies, friend of cats. And for me, John Cass, husband, father, Greek Orthodox Christian, editor-in-chief of johncassnews.com, where you get a serving of common sense. Thanks for joining us. And join us again next time, won't you? On the Chicago Way podcast on WGN+.